0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin studio today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty, thanks for joining
1: us. So today on the show we are going to talk a little about alfalfa insects. We will just talk bugs in general as well, just a little bit. And as always, we'd be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything that's going on on your farm or answer any of your questions our number here is 844 44 AGPHD. That's 844 442 4743. Or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. All right, so we will get to the AGPHD mailbag in just a minute here. I just want to say this to kind of open things up about alfalfa insects. Where Darren and I get a lot of the calls is when people are cutting or bailing, especially cutting, and then they go, uh-oh, it looks like I have a lot of bugs. Or when they're when they're bailing and they go, you know, this stuff isn't growing back very well. And it's like, okay, I understand that now you've seen the bug and you realize, "Oh, I've got a problem. I got to do something." And I get that. But here's what we're always going to at least encourage you to do is please take a sweep net and go out and scout your alfalfa field at least 2 weeks before you're going to cut. Always, always, always just put it on your calendar or like for me, uh, anything that I've got uh, that that I need to remind myself to do on a regular basis, I'll just set it up in my phone. So I've got a calendar reminder, let's say uh, whatever it is, the second Saturday of every month, all summer long or whatever you want. But anyway, the point is simply this you got to get out there and take a look at it in advance and the reason why you want to do that is because you can't spray a day before you're going to cut you can't spray the day or two after you're going to cut and we want to make sure that we are getting insects under control so you number 1 maximize tonnage and number 2 maximize quality oh yeah and number 3 we want to have that stand last last as long as it possibly can I mean, just think of the money it costs you if you have to take that standout an extra one year early. And insecticides dirt cheap. For the most part, people are spraying pyrethroids that cost a dollar and fifty cents for the full rate. That's it. So you pull your sprayer out there, and in just a few hours, you got her done and you spend a dollar fifty per acre. So it's no big expense. Oh, and by the way, if you want to, you could certainly throw other things in with that insecticide because insecticides, most insecticides at least, commonly can be tank mixed with herbicide, fungicide, biologicals, almost anything you want to throw in there, usually that works out just fine. So the reason why, again, we want you to be at least on the early side is there. we, we, we got to catch these bugs as quick as possible, but then also we have pre-harvest intervals that are usually in the range of three to seven days so in other words you scout then you go out whatever it is day two three days later and you spray and then you still have that at least full week before you're going to do your cutting and then generally speaking you're in great shape should have no problems should have quick regrowth your hay quality should be maximized so that's the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about today but right now let's get to the
0: ag phd mailbag (laughs) Back. Well, we're going to be talking alfalfa today, so I thought this would be a great question to start with. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we've got a great answer for, or maybe not the answer that, that he's looking for. us from AS, who says, I really enjoyed your talks you've had about subsurface irrigation. I'm wondering if I can use that on alfalfa production, and if so, how should you space lines out? What would be the distance between them?
1: Okay, so I assume what he's talking about is tiling and using that to sub-irrigate your field. Here's the problem. Number one, if you're in alfalfa and you like to raise alfalfa, those alfalfa roots can get down and cause problems with your tile lines. Eventually, the tile lines can catch some more dirt, they fill in, And it can be an issue. Now, I'm not saying it, number one, for sure is going to be an issue or number two is going to happen fast, but that's one of our concerns. So generally speaking, what we'll tell people is in alfalfa ground, just put the tile lines a little bit deeper so you have a little bit less risk. Okay, well, with subsurface irrigation, you want that shallow. So how are we going to do that and match those two things up? Well, it's probably not going to work real well. You could also put in subsurface drip tape. Well, here again, that could potentially be an issue with alfalfa, and usually those lines are going to last ten or twenty years, something like that. They're not going to last forever, but that would be an option: is to do subsurface strip tape. So, I I I would be at least a little bit hesitant to put a tile line out there and think, oh, I'm going to put a lot of tile lines out there, spend a lot of money on this, like a thousand dollars an acre or more and and sub irrigate and have those tile lines last a really long time. So I would be concerned about it, but you can certainly talk to some companies out there that do it and maybe some farmers that have done it. And maybe somebody can give you uh, a path forward that might make financial sense for you but for me i'm gonna struggle with that personally i'd rather put in some tile lines pretty deep and then i would spend money on a center pivot in that particular case that's probably how i would do it instead
0: all right thanks for the question got this one from jared he said i've got a field that we were just plowing and the ground is really hard especially there seems to be a hard layer six inches deep Next fall, I can chisel plow it, but right now, do you know of any product I could apply that could help me get rid of compaction, anything that would soften the soil?
1: We'd want to look at the soil test. We get this question fairly often. I think, in fact, we just had it yesterday, and I I made the comment that we want to see the soil test because we need to know, would more calcium help? Because a lot of times we have tight soils when we be because of low calcium levels. So unless your calcium is less than 65%, let's call it, you know, the addition of more calcium probably isn't going to make a lot of difference. Now there are some products out there that you could certainly try. A lot of different companies have them. You could talk to your agronomist and and just see of any product they've worked with. But yes, there are some what they call soil conditioners I don't look at that as a long-term fix. I don't look at it as this miracle cure, but it's something you could potentially try. Otherwise, you just have to pray for rain. If you get regular rainfall and the soil stays moist, your roots a lot of times can penetrate
2: those layers. Well, we'll talk alfalfa insects right after this. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
3: Weed Control, without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers and tons of entertainment, food and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about alfalfa insects. And we've got Chris Munsterman with us right now with Syngenta. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, so when we think about bugs in alfalfa, to me, that's one of the big things because a lot of growers are, are talking about, well, how often am I going to cut and how are we going to manage all that? I'm worried about these bugs that take away massive amounts of tonnage and reduce what my relative feed value is going to be. Where does it start, Chris? How, how do you advise growers going into this season?
3: Well, first if I could take what you all just said in your lead-in about scouting early and get the sweep net out two to three weeks before you plan on cutting uh, that's going to let you it takes a lot less pesticide to kill a first instar alfalfa weevil than it does a big honking adult so starting early with that and the other thing I liked what you all said is you can pay it to the, the good alfalfa growers that I know they pay attention to stand establishment early on and they get a year or two more out of their alfalfa and now that the dairy people are planting Harvex where they're spending a substantial amount of money. We really need to get out there early and make sure we don't get even near thresholds on some of these pests. But it all starts with the alfalfa weevil management across the country.
0: All right. So when you think about that, a lot of growers are saying, well, that's coming up right around the corner. How how do I know when it's going to start and how do I know what year is going to be a bad year? It's
3: been, it's there's a lot of variability in winter survival of uh, weevil adults uh, this year. We're hoping here in Nebraska, where I'm at, that we had that cold snap in February, and that really knocks down some of the egg. We have some egg mortality there. But it really starts, I mean, what I my best recommendation for folks across the country to do is most state extension entomology people have a pretty good handle on when to start scouting. And then once that trips the trigger, as you know, then it's all a growing degree day thing. So usually at 300 growing degree days, we get egg hatch, and then the meter is running. Uh, the hotter days, you're going to have more insect activity. Uh, and, and, and when it cools off, the insect activity will slow down. But it's all a heat, but almost a linear cycle as far as the heat versus how quickly larval stages progress.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about that and and for some growers that we talk to when we start mentioning things like that they'll be like, "Wait, really? It's it's kind of like growing corn." Well, kind of. And and the exactly. bugs need bugs need heat to get going and once they're going, you're right, it's all all bets are off. Now, we'll see what kind of weather we get and what other factors are out there, but how about cutting on a regular basis and regrowth. When do you see a good time? As soon as the hay is off or do you do you wait just a little bit? What's the best time to go?
3: I would what I've seen one of the train wreck stories that I've seen is when guys have alfalfa swapped up, windrowed up and can't get it baled for a couple of days yes. due to a breakdown or something else. I've seen uh weevils hide under those windrows and they get a super head start on the next. So I would get it baled as quickly as you can when you get it off, obviously for more reasons than just weevil management. And then really take a look at it, say, two days after you bale it and see what you've got out there, whether in some parts of the country you're going to have a second flush of weevil or be ready for your leafhopper stubble sprays as well.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the the leafhoppers, and that will be coming before we know it as well. When you think about the leafhoppers, are there any things to keep in mind there?
3: Uh, I pay attention to what varieties you have. There In the east, we have, there's a fair amount of pretty good hopper-resistant uh, varieties out there, and it doesn't seem to be as consistent uh, a threat across the country as it used to be, but sometimes that means we get complacent and don't even scout. And then we're two-thirds of the way through our second cutting and realize we've got a lot of bronzed-up hopper-burned alfalfa out there, and then it's too late. Then you're just revenge-spraying at that point.
0: Yeah, we do hear a lot of revenge spray out there. There's a couple things my dad would always talk about. He's like, "Uh, don't get into revenge spraying and don't get into doing recreational tillage. Those things are definitely a couple things to watch out for in agriculture.
3: That's that's very true. It makes us feel better, but it doesn't do anything. Kills beneficials, and then we might have a third wave at that point.
0: Yeah, zero return on investment for sure. Uh, We're talking with Chris Munsterman with Syngenta about alfalfa bugs. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today, and good luck this season.
3: Good luck this season to you all as well. Thank you.
0: Let's hope that alfalfa weevils are not a big issue this year, but odds are we're going to see them, and we're going to see them somewhere pretty heavy. We've got Bruce Stewart on with us right now with FMC. Hey, thanks for joining us, Bruce. Hello. Hey, good
5: afternoon. How's it doing?
0: Well, we're doing well. You know, you used used to be able to say, well, I'm with FMC, and people would say, oh, you must be a an insect expert because you guys have a lot of great products for controlling bugs. But FMC is really growing you get with a such a diverse product set now. Not every FMC rep is is a super bug guy. So Chris or so Bruce, let's talk about some of these bugs we got to watch out for out in alfalfa. Obviously, alfalfa weevil and alfalfa weevil larvae is probably first on everybody's mind this year.
5: Yes, that's right. It's uh, been a good year for. Uh, weevils and aphids this year so guys are really having to uh, keep you know monitoring their fields and keeping an eye out for for the populations make sure they're not getting too much above threshold
0: you know, that's that's for sure. And it's hard for growers to scout on some of these bugs. What do you recommend on, on a bug like alfalfa, weevil, larvae? I, I've read all kinds of things. I've done some different things. I've been out on farms where growers just say, just grab a handful and shake it out on the hood of your pickup. Let's see what we get. But uh, is there really a, a great rule of thumb that you found and a great strategy for scouting and getting a good idea of numbers?
5: Well, I, I tell you, probably the, just the white bucket method going through and taking oh thirty 30 stems and beating them in a white bucket can sometimes be a real easy method. And, and uh, usually, you know, if you've got a larvae per uh, each stem, if you've got 30 larvae in the bucket after you've done 30 stems, and then that's usually the time. A lot of guys pull the trigger, and that's pretty Pretty basic. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it at the time of the year, the cost of the crop and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, how big the crop is, things like that. But, uh, you know, just going through uh, with uh, taking a white bucket or or actually maybe just pulling stems and looking at it, uh, you know, with your naked eye and trying to see how many larvae you see in there as well is another way of doing it. But that's probably the easiest method, the white bucket method.
0: You know, there are a lot of products that we choose from in terms of insecticides going out there. Could you talk to us a little bit about what's the difference with some of these? Obviously, FMC's been in this business a long time with multiple generations here of pyrethroids and other chemistries as well. What What do you recommend in alfalfa and what are some things to watch out for?
5: Okay. Yeah. You know, there's probably only about oh, three classes of uh, insecticides that's kind of been able to be used in alfalfa you kind of have the pyrethroids and then you have the uh, organophosphate which includes primarily chlorpyrifos and then then you also have steward so it's a product uh, steward is fmc product and it contains endoxicarb and has to be ingested for it to be effective against the weevil Uh, and then uh, you know the pyrethroids are kind of a contact Uh, product that, uh, you know, the insect has to come in uh, contact with it to to be effective. And then uh, chlorpyrifos is another active, but um, I'm not sure how long it's going to be around. I think uh, Corteva uh, had decided not to uh, continue the registration of that product. And I, I think even the generics are not going to be able to continue to have that in. So those were kind of the products of choice to be uh, used and uh, steward insecticide has really been a, a a good game changer in that market uh, but as I said it has to be ingested and so there's some things you need to to do with steward that you make sure you got enough foliage out there um, whenever you do treat that the larvae can consume it and and die so we usually don't like to have it go on a crop until there's six to eight inches of growth. And then you can imagine with the, the spray coverage, that's really important. If it is being consumed, uh, you got to make sure you get that spread over. And then, then even cold snaps. Uh, you know, if you have an insect that uh, gets cold, uh, the young larvae are going to burrow down in that terminal growth, or the big larvae are going to drop off. And so, you kind of got to keep a number of these things to, in mind when you make an application of, of especially steward. Uh, for effective
0: control. Yeah, it's really great to have other alternatives and it's just important to understand how to use them and make them the most effective they can be. We're talking with Bruce Stewart with FMC. Bruce, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. We'll continue our discussion on alfalfa insects right after this.
2: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said farmers are helpers i'm teaching that to my daughters that farmers help our family our neighbors and our community it's what i do at work i help farmers get the equipment they need my name is kim i'm a farmer and i work for case ih
2: case ih built by farmers
0: if you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know Newfarm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. Newfarm's here to help.
3: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn
0: more. Talking alfalfa insects on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for joining us. We've got Jeff Whitworth with Kansas State University on to talk a little about these bugs. Jeff, thanks for joining us.
4: Sure, Anytime.
0: When we think about alfalfa insects, everybody wants to talk about alfalfa weevil and alfalfa larvae. I'm thinking about something a little different. I'm thinking about the aphids in alfalfa. There are a number of different species that we'll see and sometimes growers are saying now, man, I'm having a tough time controlling them, especially with some of these pyrethroids. So what do you find with with aphids, Jeff, and is there some trick to get them under control?
4: Yes. (laughs) Uh, First of all, Our number one problem, as you outlined, in alfalfa in the Midwest is the alfalfa weevil. The alfalfa weevil, if you don't normally treat for alfalfa weevils, you have to donate that first cutting or a majority of it to the alfalfa weevil. So when you spray for alfalfa weevils, that eliminates any of the beneficials that are out there. And the beneficials really are what help control all of the aphids. Um, And in past years... On on many organic fields, we've seen beneficial populations build up in enormous numbers. I mean, incredible numbers if the P. aphids are not treated and they help control the P. aphids. You can control aphids with the spray, but what happens, as you guys know, you know when you spray alfalfa weevils once or twice or three times because of the way they actually hatch out of their eggs Uh, and come on due to the weather and and extreme weather conditions and fluctuations we get in the spring. uh, That allows the aphids, who actually are migrating in on southern breezes continuously, um, and they reproduce parthenogenically, so they can explode much faster than the beneficials do. Um, So that's where we have a problem. You know, another one of the problems we found with the aphids, if you let the aphids go and you get a wet spring we have a lot of growth, we can't get in and swath the alfalfa, and then we it goes to flowering and then we get pollinators and you have uh, a lot of the growers want to spray for the for the aphids, but they're worried about decimating the pollinators and that will happen. So that's that's one of the problems we always have in the spring with alfalfa is if we control alfalfa weevil larvae, which we need to do Uh, That will allow the aphid populations, generally pea aphids, that's normally the early season aphid that we worry about in alfalfa in Kansas at least, um, and Oklahoma and Nebraska, that's the one that uh, comes on early and is the problem early on. So the trick to controlling them, again, is to let the beneficials, generally speaking, alone do not spray if you can help it and the beneficials will control the aphids aphids or generally you can kill them with an insecticide but usually it's not needed if the beneficials are left on their own
0: what have you seen out of products like safina and transport in terms of aphid control and and are they truly safer on some of these transform beneficials? transform or transform sorry
4: yes uh, the new aphid Aphicides, or the aphid products, uh, work really well um, to control aphids, and they're relatively specific. Uh, We've tested them on pea aphids and alfalfa. We've tested them on uh, sugarcane aphids and sorghum. Um, They really work really well, and like I said, they're really pretty specific. But again, I mean, our number one pest, by far and away the most severe pest, is the alfalfa
0: weevil. Yep. And those products do nothing to that. I know that's, it's just a, oh man, it's a challenge. Sometimes there's just so many different things going on out there. And I, I think one of the things here that I'm taking away from what you've said so far, Jeff, is you really do have to plan this out in advance and be honest about, you know what? I know pollinators are coming. I know flowering is coming and we've got to act early enough that we can take care of some of these problems up front that they don't get out of control.
4: Anytime you use an insecticide, it's all about timing. Uh, You want to get good coverage because most of them are contact insecticides. But it's all about timing, just as you said. Uh, In alfalfa weevil control, you don't want to get out ahead of it too early. Uh, We try and use a treatment threshold of 30 to 50 percent infestation, which means you got you know one per three or one per two stems infested, and that's the time to treat. Sometimes you have to treat twice, but a lot of times if you if you hold off, don't get out too early, uh, but early enough to protect the crop, um, that will help. But as you said, it's all really and truly, as far as insecticides or herbicides, any pesticide, most of it is about timing.
0: What's your favorite method for scouting, Jeff? Is it a sweep net? Is it something else?
4: For scouting? Just scouting um, through um, alfalfa fields. Oh No. Uh, I mean, we use a sweet net to go out and determine if the pests are there. But if the pests are there, whether they're aphids or alfalfa weevils, then we go out and do the stem shake bucket method, I think it's called, where you uh, pull up a stem, (laughs) shake it vigorously in the bucket, 10, 20 stems, four or five different places in the field, and then count whatever it is you're looking for in the bucket, whether it's aphids or, or alfalfa weevil larvae, that's that's the best way to quantify. Uh, the
0: infestation I'm I'm uh, smiling on this end of the microphone here Jeff because uh, that's the second time that's been brought up today and I haven't heard of anybody talking about the uh, 55 mile an hour drive-by method being very effective yet at, at guessing how many bugs are out there and nor have has there been something as easy as I mean the sweep net I agree with you you've got to use a sweep net you kind of see what's out there then you dig in a little further to try and figure out how many and how big the problem is but it's just it's not like this quick thing you you need to take a few minutes in each field and in a few areas of each field to really understand what's going on out there and uh, we're talking with Jeff Whitworth here with Kansas State University I think that's something to encourage growers everywhere where are you at right now Jeff Uh, where's the alfalfa crop at down in Kansas at this point
4: well from I-70 south they're cutting alfalfa they just started this week from I-70 north I uh, just talked to a couple consultants today up along the Nebraska border. They say it's probably going to be two to three more weeks because of the recent cold spells we've had. But they have they have started cutting um, south of I-70, which I-70 kind of splits uh, Kansas, you know, across the state east to west. So that's they're they're pretty much done spraying for alfalfa weevils in the southern part of the state. And in the northern part of the state, they're still worrying about it.
0: Yeah, a lot of stuff going on out there right now. Jeff, thanks for keeping us up to speed. Really appreciate it. And good luck here heading into the spring.
4: Anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Yeah, great tips there. And it does take a little bit of time to get out there and figure out what's going on in these fields more so than – then you can just drive by or take two minutes and see things. But I think you can get a pretty good idea. I do encourage everyone to have a sweep net and at least get an idea of, well, what is out there overall and then dig into each one of those species to see, okay, is that a problem bug? Is that a beneficial that's out there? And we heard a lot of talk, brand about the beneficials. And, man, it just, it's a shame that when guys are out spraying the weevil larvae, which we have to, or as, as Jeff said, you give up your whole first cutting to them. Uh, but but you do end up killing off some of these beneficials too. So you do need to be judicious and not just say, well, I'm spraying everywhere no matter what, even if I don't see anything, that's not a good strategy.
1: Well, right. I mean, that's why we always talk here on the show about economic thresholds. It's just that now that crop prices are so good, and even you might say, well, I'm not getting that for my alfalfa. Well, yet, (laughs) but we'll see. When everything goes up, usually that follows. But here's the other side of it. The insecticide's so inexpensive now, and what we care about is okay. What's the return going to be when we invest those dollars? Well, when the insecticide costs a dollar and fifty cents, you can't tell me that you have to have very many bugs out there to justify that kind of treatment. Not in this day and age with these kind of prices. So I, I'm. I just look at it as yes, I don't want to spray if I don't have harmful insects out there. That would be ridiculous. But it doesn't take a lot of harmful insects to justify the treatment at least right now based on current economics and that's just the way it goes with the beneficials now some people react to that going well it's it's so bad on the beneficial things i'm going look in the whole world there are hundreds of millions of acres and even in your county there are probably hundreds of thousands of acres. You're going to spray 40 or 80 or a quarter. Uh, it's it's very, very small. So don't get too worked up about that. The beneficials move back in fairly quickly. All right. Uh, we'll get to more of your questions right after this.
2: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm,
3: This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnel asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5-8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com.
0: Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every growers high yield toolbox. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today and talking about alfalfa insects. Brian uh, got talking a little bit there about steward, about chlorpyrifos, about some of the different pyrethroids that are out there. There's a number of different things that growers could be doing to try to stop these bugs out in their fields.
1: Yeah, our our encouragement is always just work with your local agronomist on whatever your pests are your concerns we do encourage rotation when you can so in other words not always using the exact same insecticide mode of action but the good news again is insecticides are very inexpensive and for the most part very effective we don't have a lot of resistance issues for all the insecticide that does get sprayed in the world but again I believe part of the reason why is because insecticide, well, it does get used on a lot of acres around the world. It doesn't get used as much as herbicide in most areas. Okay. I'm not saying in all areas or anything like that, but I think about the three major crops in the United States, for example, corn, soybeans, and wheat. And there is not a lot of insecticide used in those crops compared to the amount of herbicide used. So when there are all kinds of untreated acres, then that means that there are going to be bugs breeding and it's not going to lead to a lot of resistance issues because there hasn't even been insecticide sprayed on most of that and also don't forget like with insecticides um, we're we're spraying in the field and even think about an alfalfa field if let's say you've got a like i mentioned earlier 40 acres 80 acres whatever it is there there's grass around it too and a lot of these insects that feed and live in alfalfa they can also live in grass they can many of them can live in other crops so they they do have refuge areas let's call it that just like we talk about in corn with some of the biotech traits so anyway i don't worry that much about insecticide resistance but i worry about it enough to tell you hey when you can rotate modes of action when possible
0: Yeah, I think it's really important. And when we're out scouting alfalfa, like we've been talking about just over and over again, plan this out, put it on your calendar if you need to. Hey, I need to scout these few days because this is my shot where I can get some some insecticide applied if needed without losing a cutting or losing a whole bunch of money because here's the thing with alfalfa, Brian, you're going to cut. There's going to be something. It just might not be toning out great. And a lot of times – I'll talk to farmers who will say, well, you know, it didn't turn out so great. You know, we didn't catch enough rain. And I think the real answer in many of these cases is, no, we had a terrible insect problem out there that we probably should have spent 2 or $3 to deal with that we just didn't have time to do or didn't think about because we got okay. too busy.
1: But, but part of this comes back to when, oh, all right, so for all of us as farmers, oh, I shouldn't say all, most of us as farmers, we talk about what grandpa did and what dad did Okay, And we think a lot about those things. Well, for grandpa and for dad, they didn't have the crop prices that we did today. They didn't have the cheap insecticide and effective insecticides that we did today. And also, when we look at a lot of the university information, and I'm not saying anything's bad. I love having the university information out there, but they'll put that out in a given year. And then for many of us, we reference back to it. Okay, And it's very common. I'll do some search on the internet and something comes up from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And we say, oh yeah, here's this study that showed I need to have X number of bugs out there before I can justify treatment. My point is simply this. Make sure that you're always using current economics with their formulas. Because when you look at the true formula on, okay, how many bugs did it take to cause what percentage of injury? Well, if our yields, if our tonnage are, let's say, 50% higher, okay, that changes things. If our cost of insecticide is way lower, that changes things. If our value of the overall crop is a lot higher, that changes things. So literally, I can take the information from back in the early 2000s or whatever it was, 2008 maybe. uh, When I look back at some really good aphid data in soybeans, just as an example, and I realize I'm off alfalfa, but just hear me out. In soybeans, and and you go back to when they very first talked about this 250 aphid threshold. I can take their numbers using today's yields, today's insecticide price, and today's commodity price, and I can go okay, 250 actually translates to about 20 or 30. I don't know what the exact number is. I'm just using this as an example. Okay, but I'm just saying you got to use current information plugged into or all right, a bug causes a certain amount of damage and that was determined 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. When you do that, that will change the thinking. It will change the mindset. It will change what you want to do out in your field. So don't just look at, something that you know is still on the internet from back when crop prices are bad yields are bad all this stuff and you go wow it takes this many bugs so I I shouldn't go out and spray no that is not true and that's not why they do the research they do the research to try to figure out okay the, this particular year how many bugs pay uh, you know to treat and also for I'm not going to say all time but for at least a long period of time bugs do a certain amount of damage. And then it's up to all of us as agronomists and farmers to use that information and translate that into modern terms and modern economics.
0: All right. Uh, A lot of talk here about alfalfa insects. Of course, our phone lines are open. If you have an agronomic question, we would love to help you out. 844-44-AG-PHD is that number. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right. Got one here from Yak, who's in South Carolina, who says, hey, I've got a big problem in my cornfields with coffee bean or sickle pod. wonder if you have a recommendation for pre and post-emerge herbicides. Okay, well, first of all, a little bit about sickle pod. It's an annual. It's in the bean or pea family. So it's a legume but it's a legume that doesn't fix nitrogen. So for anyone who says, oh, why do you got to kill all the weeds? Well, this is a pretty nasty weed. It robs a lot of yield and there, there isn't a great positive value for it when it's out in the middle of someone's cornfield. So one of the things I'll say too is crop canopy is really important. So make sure you're doing everything you can to establish a good crop canopy and, and get that crop up quick and have it growing and, and really healthy early. Because here's another thing, when you've got sickle pot in a field, it's a whole for Asian soybean rust. So if you've got soybeans somewhere in the rotation, uh, this is one of those weeds that could keep that disease going in your area during the season. That's not a good thing. Okay, so let's talk corn herbicides. Uh, Pre-emerge, one of them that doesn't get talked about very much as Python. And you can find that in Triple Flex or Sure Start. Python actually has some activity, although you don't have this huge rate of Python in the rate that most folks are using for Triple Flex or Sure Start. But I was kind of surprised, Brian. I thought Sharpen would be a little bit better on this one. It's really not. I don't see it's not on the label at all even for partial control haven't heard any growers saying man it was just amazing on that but to me that's that's sometimes rate sensitive too, and we don't see a lot of guys using the three ounce rate of sharpen I wonder at three ounces how we would do but in the meantime triple flex and sure start are relatively inexpensive they could be used pre I know atrazine gets a lot of play there's a lot of farmers that we talk to that say man atrazine has sure helped me but we'd prefer to use that post emerge versus pre so we not only get some soil residual activity we get some burn down activity on it too plus it's a better time environmentally speaking to be putting that atrazine out post roundup and liberty are both excellent so if you're planting traded crops or you can use roundup and or liberty wow those are those are two really good products typically and then the one that Brian will always jump to and I'm surprised he hasn't jumped all over me yet is status when we hear about different weeds broadleaf weeds in corn Most of the time, we'll say, well, what are you using? And we'll hear, well, I'm using an HPPD. I can get a a meso for not very much money, and that's what I'm running with. Or I've taken my pre's out, I'm trying to do a total post, or I don't want to use atrazine in my rotation and all those things can help you. And the other one that can help you is status. I wish it wasn't so expensive post-emerge in corn, comparatively speaking, to some of the, the other options that are out there now, but man, it's really good on broadleaf weed control. So if I had sickle pod in my corn, that's where I would turn post-emerge status and I'd start pre-emerge with triple flex or sure start.
1: Sharpen actually is not that bad, Darren. It just, there isn't a lot of information out there though, but I was just looking at something from South Carolina because I'm like, I know I have notes on that. And for them, they found that Verdict was excellent, uh, good to excellent, yet dimethenamid, I mean the outlook that's in there, that's poor obviously. So, and, and anyway, the only other component in Verdict is Sharpen. So what does that lead you to believe? And there are a lot of these weeds that let's say, maybe aren't the most popular nationwide, and so that's part of the reason they don't get on some of the herbicide labels. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag right after this.
4: Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique, self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating crack seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably.
2: Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com.
0: If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPHD PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPHD PhD Young Farmer's Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmer's Field Day, visit agphd.com.
2: Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. That's the name. It's called Wide AR Match Herbicide.
2: Oh, my bad. From the top. Introducing Wide AR Match from Corteva Agriscience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need
3: flexibility. Introducing Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: This Saint two ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. Got another weed control question, and we've got some tough ones here, Brian. This one comes from David down in Texas. He said we've been looking for herbicides to help us fight sandburrs and not kill the grass that we want to keep, like Bahia, rye, or Bermuda. Wondering if you could help us out with something we could possibly spray. All right. Well, first of all. David, I, it's awesome uh, that, that you can spray some herbicide, but I'm going to make a couple of suggestions first about ways that you could avoid using herbicide. And one of the things we see with sandbur, it's an, it's an opportunistic grass where if you don't have a good thick stand, the sandbur can get in there. So assuming you start with good pure seed to begin with, and obviously sandburrs are big and you can get them out too, so you should be fine in that regard plant thick enough, use enough fertility, and then use rotational grazing or irrigation or any method you could use to make sure that grass stays very thick and healthy out there. You can fight off a lot of weeds that way. And then when you're cutting hay, for example, don't cut too short. So all those things can really help. And if you do all those things perfectly right and you get rain just ideally when it when it's needed and everything else, you can stop all weeds from coming. But Once you have sandbur out there, I agree with you. Herbicide is probably called for. One of the things you can do in the fall is you could potentially use pendimethalin. It's a lot like managing things in your yard. You can utilize pendimethalin to control the annual grasses. Pastora is another one that a lot of farmers will turn to in Bermuda grass, for example, but here's the thing with sandbur and what we found in a lot of conventional crops, too, when you don't have the option of Roundup or Liberty, we've got to kill sandbur really small. It's got to be actively growing and ideally... Less than a couple inches, maybe an inch tall. So identifying it real early and getting after it is a big part of this whole thing. And there, there are other active ingredients that you could use, products like Surflan. Um, I've heard some guys using Benzamac or Sand, different things like that in, in various crops to control it. But, man, getting out there and, and getting it under control early is a, a big deal. Having a good thick stand is probably the biggest so that's, that's uh, my idea. Is anything else you wanted to add to that, Brian? Nope. All right. Well, thank you, David. really appreciate it. And good luck.
1: Wait, wait. What did you, did you talk about herbicides? Yeah,
0: did I you? did. Okay. I did. I said pastora I I and Bermuda it. grass is one that that would be used. Well, uh, wait
1: though. I thought you were just, you were talking, we were talking about this before, Bahia grass though. Yeah. And he had, he isn't trying to kill Bahia grass. He's no, trying to keep the No, Baha'i Baha'i I know. Grass. But I said,
0: because I said you could pastora run Pastora
1: will kill Bahia grass. Yeah. I, that's why I was confused.
0: Right, he he listed a few different types of grass species that it could be in. Uh, if that's oh, all, I, oh. I didn't realize that would be all mixed together. I was assuming that would oh, be. Oh, I separate. don't know.
1: I, that yeah, I I guess it's not super clear.
0: No, but but pendimethalin is something you could use on those, and you could do it in the fall, and that would be an option. So that that would be a great choice. Obviously, it's May now, so it doesn't really help you out today as much. Once everything's actively growing out there, but that would be something to get ahead of the sandbar.
1: Yeah. And we do talk about like plateau with bahia grass, the bahia has to be dormant. So it, I mean, at least it's an option, but you can't be going out there. I, I guess I just want to make sure, let's put it this way, check the label first. So if you weren't totally clear on everything that we had for you when it comes to herbicides, bahia grass is a lot more sensitive than Bermuda grass and some of the other grasses we commonly deal with like brome. So just be real careful with that.
0: All right. I got this question in from Roger in Wisconsin and he said, you guys have talked about chlorinated water in spray tanks. I'm wondering, do we need to measure how much chlorine is in there? Is there a critical point where you must treat or is it if there's any chlorine in there, it could cause a problem? And then if so, what impact does, does chlorinated water have on herbicides, insecticides, biologicals? And is there a yield detriment to not treating?
1: Okay. So let's start with this. How much chlorine? Look, either you have chlorinated water or you don't. If you just have well water, this isn't an issue. If you got something from a municipal source or like for us, where it's rural water and it's pumped out into the country here, that is all treated with chlorine. So that's it, either is or it isn't. Okay, any chlorine is going to be bad for biologicals and potentially herbicides. So let's talk about that. The two things that chlorine is going to do, when, or when water is treated, all right, so I shouldn't just throw in chlorine, but when water is treated, the pH typically goes up a lot. So with our water, before it goes in through this treatment process for raw water, it's, it comes out of the ground a little over 7 for pH. After the treatment, it's well over 8, like 8, eight and a half. That's a big difference, okay? And we know that there are some herbicides, fungicides, herbicides and fungicides that don't last super long in high pH water, okay? Um, And you could talk to the manufacturers, you could talk to your agronomist on that. I mean, the the information out there isn't super readily available, but the point is simply this, the half-life of a lot of these herbicides and fungicides could be Shorter in that really high pH, and for some it definitely is. So we have to be a little bit careful about that water, and what I mean by the half-life is, in other words, you go to the field with a quart, you get rained out, and you go, ah, dang, I'll spray the rest of it out tomorrow. Well, by tomorrow, in effect, only 16 ounces is left if the half-life was 24 hours. Half of it's gone in 24 hours, and that can absolutely happen in some of these high pH water systems. If you had lower pH, let's say it was seven, maybe the half-life goes to a week. And so sitting around is not as big a deal. Uh, But we do get concerned about it that way. So it's usually not a big deal if you have high pH water and you go spray it immediately But even there, it's something that we would encourage you to run some experiments with and just see if you can get a little bit better control when that pH comes down. Because we do know there are certain products, like Roundup for example, that absolutely is more effective at a 6 pH than it is at an 8 pH. Now, I don't know exactly why, I just know that that's the way it works. Uh, Beyond that, with chlorine, the other big issue we have is why is chlorine in the water in the first place? It's to kill harmful microbes. Well, the chlorine doesn't know if the microbe is harmful or it's something you threw in that tank that could be beneficial to the crop. It's going to kill them all. So we've, we've run a bunch of studies with naturals and yeah, it doesn't take very long. You throw those beneficial bacteria or fungi in the tank and you think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to put this on my crop. And by the time you reach the field, it's dead. So that didn't do you any good. So neutralize it, and it doesn't cost much money. I mean, it costs a few cents an acre, so it's no big deal. The product we use is called BioPrep, but there are others out there, so just, again, ask your retailer or your agronomist about that, and get the chlorine neutralized. Oh, and you might wonder, well, where does this chlorine go then when you talk about it getting neutralized? All we're doing, like with this BioPrep product we're using, is it's converting the form. So instead of it being chlorine anymore, it turns into chloride, and when you look at chloride, that's actually a nutrient that a lot of crops need. So it's no big deal if you're fo- fully feeding chloride, and chloride isn't going to kill the microbes like chlorine does.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Got some feedback here. This is from Will in Louisiana about the Ag PhD Soils app. He he said, really happy with your soils app. I got a call from an agronomist at Midwest Labs as well to help me go over some of my tests. Really appreciate all the information I got from the Ag PhD guys to give me the understanding to carry on a good conversation with that agronomist and, of course, for providing the Ag PhD app Really appreciate the exceptional service for even a small farmer. Hey, thanks, Will. We really appreciate that. I'm glad that worked out well for you, and hopefully that helps you get higher yields this year and and tolerate some of the stress that we know will be coming this growing season. This one from Jim. He said, wow, I wish my dad would have gotten to see all this great content that you're putting out. He would have watched Ag PhD religiously. Uh, He was always wondering why the amount of nitrogen he was putting on wasn't making certain yield goals. I need to do some tissue sampling is, is what it sounds like to find out exactly what is going out there in the field. Hey, Jim, thanks for, for that. Really appreciate that that comment. And, yeah, we we really learned a lot doing tissue sampling, too, that nitrogen wasn't necessarily what was going to add more yield. We found some other things on our farm, specifically potassium and some of the micronutrients that were, were really getting us in a in a spot where we just weren't able to reach our goals because they were the first things running out in our plants.
1: Well, that. And over over time, we learned how to read soil tests better and actually understand what they mean and and ratios of nutrients in soil and things like that. So we talk about that stuff on a regular basis here on the show.
0: Yep, always, always good to try and figure out what's going on because just like you're finding out, just like Jim and his dad were working on for years, Man, if we don't figure it out now, it's going to hurt us next year too. And that's the fun part about farming. When you do find things that actually improve things out there in the soil, it makes it better not just for now, but for potentially years and years to come. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.